The Old Testament reading this morning will be coming from uh, Genesis 4, verses 1 through 9. That's on uh, page 9 of your pew Bible. And we'll be reading from the ESV. Hear the word of the Lord. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. It, its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Our New Testament lesson is from 2 Peter 1, verses 5 through 11. And if you have the Pew Bible, that's on page 1018. And I'm going to be reading from the NIV, so it'll be a little different from the Pew Bible. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The very word of God. The gospel lesson comes from Luke 10, uh, 25 through 29 today, and it's on page 869 in the Pew Bible. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? May God bless to our understanding this reading of his word.
I was not kidding when I said uh, it's so good to be uh, back with you. But I think it's actually good, isn't it, to once in a while be um, put in a place where you're totally uncomfortable, where you can't even figure out how to get from the train station to your hotel, where you have to um, say, I don't have everything I need. I am desperate for something else. And that was kind of the story of uh, our adventures. Um, Matt had been there before, and he gave us some wonderful counsel on how to get around Spain and those kinds of things, but, but neither the three of us had ever been there, and, uh, and we stumbled a little bit trying to figure out our way around, um, uh, trying to learn the bus lines. About the time we would finally start to feel comfortable where we were, then we would move on to the next city and start all over again. I think we did that five times. Um, and and, um, and at some point, on the one hand, you're weary of it. On the other hand, you're just so overwhelmed with the reality that that's what life is like on a pilgrimage. Um, you know, we're tempted to nest. We're tempted to, to, um, to get very comfortable and to make sure that nothing uncomfortable ever gets near us, Right. But the problem is then, then we become the full extent of our world. The horizon is no farther than the end of our nose, and, and, and it's a very dangerous place to be. So I felt like I was in a dangerous place in Spain, but maybe, just maybe, the dangerous place is not Spain for me or not France for Jake and Hannah, uh, not Beirut. <laughs> the, maybe the dangerous place is here when, um, when I'm vulnerable to comfort, when I'm vulnerable to complacency, when I'm vulnerable to those other things. There are so many things. Uh, I, we haven't processed them. We were moving so fast that we just had to kind of collect experiences and then try and unpack them around the dinner table along the way. But I wanted to share one with you. Could I do that? One little experience with you that was that was uniquely mine. Uh, we were we were uh, one late afternoon. We went, went back out in Spain. You um, get up pretty well, well, not too early actually. About nine o'clock in the morning, you move around to about two in the afternoon, and then the whole world shuts down. That whole siesta thing—it's uh, almost a cliche in Mexico, but it's a reality in Spain. And, and there's a good reason for that reality. It's about a hundred degrees outside and stifling, and everything just shuts down. Everybody takes a nap, and then about uh, five or six o'clock, the world begins again. And they will go till uh, 10 o'clock at night, have dinner at 10, and go to about 1 o'clock in the morning uh, um, with, with relational time. It was fascinating. But one afternoon we had left, uh, we'd rested in the afternoon, and I, I took my resting seriously. I napped every afternoon. And then we went back out, and we, we were in um, Granada. Uh, and, and forgive the boring um, history lesson, which I don't completely understand, but at one point um, Spain was just... Uh, um, a cluster of feudal kingdoms. Uh, and even to this day, that's still reflected. The Catalans in, in, in southeastern Spain don't even want to be Spanish. The Basques, many of them in the north part of Spain, don't want to be. These, these kingdoms were drawn together, and, and it happened because uh, the, the daughter of Spain, Isabel, was wed to a son of France, who, of course, was Spain's traditional enemy on their, on their uh, northern, northeastern border. So they did what was common in those days, and they were, they were wed. And, um, and Ferdinand and Isabel, for the first time in the 1500s, then consolidated what, through all the Middle Ages, had been this, this warring factions uh, of different kingdoms. 
And it was a glorious time for Spain. Uh, uh, that's, that's when Columbus was sent out. That's when many of the great Spanish explorers, it was the golden age of Spain. One afternoon while we were out wandering around, uh, we came across a, a cathedral that had a little chapel to it. I'm not sure if we have these or not. Do you have a picture of that? Uh, there's the cathedral in, um, in Granada. Granada was the last bastion of the Muslim conquest of southern Spain. And so one of Ferdinand and Isabel's uh, desires was to rid Spain of, of the influence of Islam. And the last bastion was Granada. And, and this is the partially converted uh, cathedral. It was a, a mosque before, um, before it became a cathedral. Uh, you just have no idea how magnificent those um, those dwellings are those those cathedrals those chapels. Next to cathedral is a smaller. This is this right here, which would stand out in Evansville as one of the primary attractions. Was just a little chapel off of the cathedral. It's called the Capilla Real, the Royal Chapel. And the reason that it was special was because this is where Ferdinand and Isabel. Uh, are buried. Go ahead to the next one if you would. This is one representation of them uh, at the time of the, of the final surrender of Granada to, uh, to Spain. Uh, and, and right there, this is a part of a glorious uh, altarpiece, a gold altarpiece. Right there in front of the altar, if you go to the next one, is the sarcophagi of, of Ferdinand. And it's just really weird. Right there in front of the, of the worship center, it's like, it's like if I was, I was buried right here, right? And every time you came to worship, right, uh, there's this buried, you know, you're going, all throughout the cathedrals, all the popes and all the famous people are buried right there in the thing. And in fact, uh, I think the next picture shows you a little more detail of their sarcophagi, Isabel on the right, Fernand on the, on the left, but right underneath them in a kind of weird little deal, go ahead, is, is their actual caskets right there, right under the chancel, right here. And, and um, I'm thinking to myself, what is this? What is this? And, and uh, Karen and, and Maddie had gone off shopping for a second, so I had a few moments just kind of say, what were they trying to say by putting themselves, go on to the next one if you would, by, I'll, I'll go back to, would you, by putting themselves right there in front of, uh, the thing, what were they trying to say? See, I have experienced this before. In, um, in the holy city, in, in Jerusalem, all surrounding the old city are nothing but, but um, uh, uh, burial sites. And, and, and especially by the eastern gate. That might mean something to some of you. you know, the, the Messiah will come through the eastern gate into the holy city, right? Just like he did. On Palm Sunday, he will come again through that. So where would you want to be buried, right? And now, now, follow the logic of this, right? That, that I want to be as close as I can to that, right? I want to try. If, if there's only 18 people that want to be in, that get in, I want to be in there, right? I think, and it's not just Ferdinand and Isabel, but I, what struck me is, is they're crying out. God, I've done all these things in your name. Please let me be righteous enough. Please see my life as worthy enough to enter into your kingdom. And, and God, if it's going to come down to a rush for the door, I want to be right there, right? Um, and I thought, you know what? Not much has changed in, 
in 500 years. We're still trying to find some way to gain entrance into the kingdom of heaven. That's why the word of God is so powerful for us today. Because the word of God that we just heard says, therefore be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. Right? God has called his people and he has chosen them. That's what election means. He has chosen them. You didn't choose me. Jesus said, I chose you. Right? He's chosen us. But, but Peter is saying, if we practice uh, these qualities, we will never fall. And listen to this. And in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There will be provided for you an entrance. You don't have to build a, a, a glorious cathedral. You don't have to park yourself in death right there in front of the altar. You can have this confidence, Peter is saying, that you can know for certain that you will have entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, so the, it begs the question, then, how do we do this? How can we have that? And he has already answered it. Uh, Sarah read for us, the verse I just read again was at the end of that passage. Earlier in this passage, he answers that question. But let me start by saying, don't be afraid to ask. Now, many of us are very familiar with this concept, but I'm mindful that there might be some here today who who are not. Many of us say, I'm not going to ask God anything because that might look like doubt, right? And we know, James himself said, uh, we, we know that, that if we doubt, we're like, like ships tossed on the waves, right? And so as a result, we're afraid to ask God questions. And, and I just want to say to you, I don't believe that's true at all. I think God welcomes questions. And, and as followers of Christ, we should welcome questions, right? When, when our, our uh, non-believing friends have real questions, we ought to celebrate that, even when we don't know the answers, right? Because we know the one who is the answer. And we know that he will provide. So don't be afraid to ask questions. God loves questions. His word says that the one who asks receives. Amen? The one who knocks, the doors open. The one who seeks, finds. So maybe this morning you're asking that how question. How can I have that assurance, God, that, that I will be provided entrance into the eternal kingdom of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? I want to know, God. I want to have that assurance over the past eight weeks, we've been unpacking the answer to that question, the how question together. We've been unpacking God's answer, which says this, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. Is it up there? And, and, and to goodness, I must not have put it up there, I apologize. And to goodness, knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness, last week. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. Peter has shown us how we can partner with God in receiving that affirmation, that confirmation that God has provided a way for us. Two weeks ago, Pastor Bill, who's here I think this morning, 
helped us understand how to add to self-control perseverance. Last week, Chad helped us wrestle with how to, how to add godliness to our perseverance, perseverance, particularly in a world that has become increasingly and visually and vividly ungodly. Amen? I mean, just think about the events of this last week. And I did think of you guys. That was the first thing that came to my mind. I saw that it was in Nice. One of them was in Nice this time. Wow. Um, Peter speaks into our chaos, like the spirit brooding over the chaos in Genesis. Peter speaks into our chaos truth. But I want to note that today, um, Peter, in a way, turns a corner. In a way, uh, up until this point, we've been focusing on how God transforms us how God, through intimacy with God, we are transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And we are, we are growing with ever-increasing glory in the character and nature of God. But look at this corner that, that Peter is turning today. Today, we turn from inward virtues to outward action. Today, Peter challenges us to add to our faith. And, and um, the NIV says, brotherly kindness. So what is brotherly kindness? kindness, right? I said a few moments ago that, that God loves question, and I meant that. I mean, I, I believe with all my heart that you can ask him anything. But you need to know this as well, that apparently God likes to ask questions as well, right? He loves for our questions, but he likes to ask questions as well. From the garden right up until our, our worship service this morning, God is speaking and God is piercing our confusion He's, he's piercing our comfort. He's piercing our complacency with questions with which he must already know the answers, right? He's asking us questions like, where is your brother? If we want to understand brotherly kindness, we have to ask ourselves the question that God asked Cain. Do you remember that? You heard it just a few moments ago from Genesis 4. Uh, this is very early. This is the first children of Adam and Eve, right? And, and, and uh, if you've ever had children, you know that, that things don't always go well, right? And every, every uh, person, unique person, is, is a sovereign creation of God with a differing personality and different strengths and different weaknesses. And it was no different in, in those days. Abel was a shepherd of sheep. And, and his brother Cain was, uh, was a tiller of the soil. Remember, what do we know about the soil from Genesis 3? That it's full of thistles and this is not. And so he's ticked off to begin with, right? This is not working well. Thanks, Dad and Mom, for this legacy of thistles rather than the garden. But um, Cain is a tiller of soil. And so, and so Abel and Cain are... are um, are actually worshiping God. They're in a worship service. How do I know that? Because they brought offerings, right? God invited them to bring an offering to him. And, and ostensibly, Abel brought an offering from the sheep. And, and Cain brought an offering from the ground. Do you remember this? And, and there's is, is, is not a weight or value added to it. It just says simply that God received Abel's sacrifice and did not receive uh, Cain's. Now, no, in, our, in our world of politics and grades and all this kind of stuff, if you ain't first, then you're last, right? 
Uh, I mean, we, there's this artificial thing that says if you're not number one, then, then uh, it wasn't worth it at all. You see that in the basketball playoffs recently. If we, if we don't win at all, then it, our whole season was a loss. There's no indication here that somehow that Cain is now condemned to an eternity apart from. There's none of that there. There's none of that there, but something happens in Cain's heart. I can't completely understand it. It might have begun as simply as envy. Um, God liked his offering. God didn't like mine. But then you can almost sense something happening where now it moves beyond envy to, to anger. Well, why? And first, maybe the anger was at his brother, but probably not too different or too distantly after that came came anger with God, right? And 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 some of you can relate exactly to what I'm talking about. You might be experiencing that right now. You might be at the envy stage where it says, I, I'm, I'm looking at what I don't have rather than what I do, or you might have moved way beyond that and already you're angry at someone else who has life better, seemingly better than you, or honestly at God you're angry with God because he did not do what you thought he should do and 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 the amazing thing in the story is that is that in that anger even he's not moved beyond redemption isn't that amazing what what God said to him there in that place um uh let me let me just actually read it again for you from from um Genesis. Why are you angry, the Lord said to Cain? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will it not be accepted? But if you don't do well, sin is crouching at the door. And its desire, this is such a prophetic word, isn't it? Its desire is for you. Do you hear that, beloved? This is not a neutral world. Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is to consume you, but you must rule over it. Paul picks up that theme in Romans as well. Sin cannot be your master. You must overcome it. So what God is saying is the story's not finished yet. The story's not finished, Cain. But Cain can't hear that. I'm going to read a little bit into the story. And the reason I'm going to read into it is I have a golden doodle. You say, what? Um, I have a golden doodle, and, and, and being gone two weeks, the golden doodle, uh, of course, it could have been two minutes. My golden doodle wouldn't have known the difference. Um, when we came home, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Lily came running up to us, and, and, and she's so excited that she just starts vocalizing, you know, and she's, and she's just all over us just after being gone Two weeks, I got this little golden doodle impression from Abel. See, he's not stupid. He realizes that his brother does not like him. Right? And so one day his brother comes and says, hey, let's go to the field together. And golden doodle Abel says, yay, let's go to the field. And he wags his tail. And he, and he says, yeah, yeah, let's go to the field. My brother wants to go to the field with me today, right? And we know the rest of the story, to quote Paul Harvey, right? We know what's going on, but Abel doesn't. All he knows is that his brother invited him into a relationship with him. And he goes out there, and of course we know what happened. I don't know how it happened completely, but my suspicion is he pounded him and pounded him until there was no life left in him. And, 
seemingly an hour late, going back to that root of bitterness, that, that vulnerability that we have to being angry with God, seeming like he was an hour late, God shows up. And, and, and two of our important questions for today happen right here. They're not the first questions that God asks. In fact, I think, I think there's five questions already by this point, including to Adam, where are you, right? God has been asking questions, but now he directs them to Cain. And, and he, says, he says to Cain, where is your brother? Where is your brother? And, and Cain, not getting it, not understanding God, not understanding that God already knows where his brother is. God's asking him if he'll own up to the fact of where his brother is. Cain says, I don't know. He lies. And then he asks another question that's going to be important for us today. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper? It's kind of a rhetorical question, isn't it? Now, God goes on, and there's amazing consequences. God is not unjust. There's amazing consequences for Cain for his actions. But I want to start with you for a second. If we're going to understand brotherly kindness, we've got to understand that God is asking questions of us today. God is is asking us, what is this brotherly kindness? God is saying to us, like he's saying to Cain, where is your brother? And, And Jesus is going to take it a little further. I'm going to substitute neighbor and brother. Jesus is going to say, who is your brother, right? Because if we don't know who it is, we're not going to know where they are, right? And then, and then I'm going to pick up Cain's question for a second, if I can, as well, and, and ask that question, am, are we our brother's keeper? Are we? Um, so that's kind of the outline of where we want to go. Where is your brother? And Jesus' modification, who is your brother? Peter kind of answers it a little bit for us. Peter says this, for this reason... Add to, or excuse me, make every effort to add to your faith brotherly kindness. Now, we're almost done. Um, we're on the seventh out of eight virtues that Peter identifies here. But brotherly kindness is a word that's very familiar to us. Very familiar to us, right? It's the word Philadelphia, right? When I say Philadelphia, what do you think? City of, right? Uh, isn't that amazing? It's translated in the NIV, brotherly kindness. It's translated in the ESV, brotherly affection. But what is this? And, and, and to understand that, let me just note that there's several other words that, that Peter could have used here. If he wanted to say acts of kindness, he could have used the Greek word krestotes, which, which means goodwill that results in acts of kindness. He could have used that word. It was very common. If he was just talking about some little random act of kindness, he could have used that word. He didn't use that word. He could have used another Greek word. It was very common in the Bible, very common in the culture. The word uh, philanthropia. Can you hear another word in that? Or philanthropy, right, in English. And and. Philanthropy describes a love toward mankind that expresses itself in acts of selfless generosity. He could have used either of those words, and those words are good words. They're great concepts. They're not unbiblical. They're very powerful words. And con- but here's the problem. They both can be done at a distance, right? Um, have you heard about Benny? Um, Benny is a code name for somebody in the Northwest 
who for about the last five or ten years has been placing $100 bills in random places. Did you, ever, did you hear about that? And, and so someone might be in a shop and, and looking at a vase and, and they hold it up and a $100 bill falls out and all it says on it is Benny. Now, it's a little play on words there because who's on the $100 bill? Ben Franklin's on there, right? But Benny, they, they're calculating, or, they, or excuse me, they have evidence that Benny has given over $55,000 worth of this random acts of kindness. And it's been so cool to hear stories about what people do. Uh, where there is genuine need, whether someone's not sure where their next meal, I mean, it's life-saving, right? It's just powerful to find that. But oftentimes, it might be someone like you or me who, who would uh, always say, wow, I'd love to find a $100 bill, but, but we won't starve if it's not there. And you know what happens is that people take that random act of kindness, they take that $100, and they leverage it, or to quote a movie, they pay it forward, Right? And multiply it. They, they like, the, like the parable of the talents, they take that talent and multiply it and leverage it forward. And many people are blessed. It's just, I mean, it's, it's Christotis in action. It's this amazing gift. But you can do that from a distance. You can do that anonymously. Phil, philanthropy is, is the same thing. Uh, many of us are philanthropic. Uh, you say, oh, I, didn't, I didn't know that before. But, but when you write a check for, uh, for, uh, someone or something that you really care about, you're doing philanthropy. You are, 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 are engaging from a distance in, uh, in a powerful uh, ministry or a powerful uh, blessing for someone else. But the key thing is that you can do both of those from a distance. From a distance. It starts sounding like a song, isn't it? From a distance. So um, not so with Philadelphia. Not so. Philadelphia means to get up close and personal. Philadelphia means to get in your face. And unless I'm willing, through this gift of God's Philadelphia, unless I'm willing to bear with you and you're willing to bear with me, unless we're willing to put up with each other in all our oddness and our weirdness and our prickliness, unless we're willing to do that, then all we have is is philanthropy. All we have is is disconnected generosity, right? Philadelphia asks, where is my brother? Philadelphia asks, who is my brother? And I'm going to suggest to you that Philadelphia insists, I am my brother's keeper. We have, we have um, somewhat distant cousins. You might have heard about Carlos and Doris. They're such a sweet sweet couple. They're in their 90s. Is that right? No, I made that mistake. I waded in where no man should ever wait. I guessed her age and missed it by two years, and you would have thought I stuck a knife in her. Um, she was only 88. She, she asked the question that no man should ever answer, and we know that. Men, oftentimes when women ask questions, don't say anything. They don't want the answer, right? She says, how old do you think I am? <laughs> I'm so naive. Uh, and and uh, uh, I thought I was being generous. And I missed it by two years. <laughs> yeah, I just confirmed for you. You knew I was going to hell. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, but they are the sweetest couple. And and um, and we are first cousins once removed. I had to look that up. I had to figure out what that is. But we're the closest relatives that they have. We're seven and a half hours away. 
I don't know that they have any other living relatives. The only other two people that are involved deeply in their lives are, are a neighbor and, and uh, an old friend from the university. Um, and, and, and God is just asking us to, to care for them. And we don't have any clue how to do this. But what's become really apparent is that we can't do it from Evansville. We can't, we can't solve their crisis, and they are in crisis right now. They're going to have to make that journey that nobody wants to make from, from autonomy uh, to dependence, or I'm, I hope, I hope in, interdependence. But, but from them, it seems like dependence on someone else. And, um, and, and we can't do that by writing a check. We can't do that. Uh, by by a little random act of kindness that may or may not accomplish it. We have to know that their needs are provided for. We have to be in their face. And and, and I covet your prayers. We're going to have to go up there Thursday and have that conversation. And, uh, and, and it's going to be really difficult. But it can't happen long distance. Philadelphia can't happen long distance. For them to know that it's out of love, that we're inviting them. We're going we're gonna to invite them to come down and live in, in the place where Ellen Lynch lived, in my mother-in-law's house near us. Um, um, for them to know and trust us, we have to be face-to-face. Philadelphia has to get dirty. Philadelphia has to engage. You have to get up close and personal. James, uh, the brother of Jesus, put it this way. He says, if a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things they need for the body, what good is that? I think what he's saying is, if someone's in genuine need and you just write a check, what good is that? If someone's needed and you just say, well, I'm, I'm doing random acts of kindness, uh, what good is is that James is charging us in 2, 15 and 16. He's charging us to get up close and personal unless there is Philadelphia. Brotherly kindness, which gets very personal and very practical. What good is it to say we love the world? What good is it to say we love the brothers and sisters in Christ? What good is it to say we love even our own family, right? But there's another reason that Peter chose this word, and I've kind of given it away here, you know that, that another way to translate brotherly kindness or brotherly affection, which both the NIV and the ESV did, is brotherly love. We said that already, right? Why do they not do that? Well, well, it's possible that they're looking at next week. It's possible that they're seeing that next week we're going to talk about agape. And, and, and we know that as the pinnacle of love. And so maybe trying to diminish trying to diminish Philadelphia so that agape stands brighter. I don't know. All I do know is that they are different because Peter uses a different word in both places. He said, add to your godliness uh, Philadelphia, brotherly love, but add to your brotherly love agape. So he's distinguishing those for us. He's saying that these are both critical. These are both critical. They're not the same. And one is not more important than another, but we must acquire both and grow in them both. So, real quickly, what are they? I'm going to suggest to you that Philadelphia is to love whom God loves. Will you say that with me? To love whom God loves. And I'm going to suggest to you next week that agape is to love how God loves. Loves, And we're going to get our world rocked. You can feel it coming, can't you? 
the how is an amazing thing. But, but the first part we have to ask is, who do you love, God? Who do you love? Who is my brother? Let's ask that. Who, who does God love? It certainly includes our, our sister and brother, right? If we can find that out, yeah, God's going to hold us responsible for our brothers and sisters' life. I've shared with you openly before, I have three sisters who don't know the Lord. And, and I have a responsibility as, as blood brother to them. I have a responsibility to them, just like one of my sisters who's involved in a cult feels an urgent responsibility to save me. It creates some interesting dinnertime conversation. Um, and um, so we certainly are talking about that. And the Greek culture at that time understood that. It includes the idea of uh, blood brothers and sisters. In other words, people from the same father. For some reason in the Greek culture, it wasn't they chased the father's lineage, not the mother's lineage. But it was their way of saying that the blood is thicker than water, right? What, what changed in now in Peter's use of it and changed in the New Testament is that they turned the word inside out. It still means love between brothers and sisters. But what they radically changed was the definition of a brother or sister. And you're on to this. Aren't you? You're already on to this. You're, you're seeing where I'm going. Brother and sister no longer mean those with the same bloodline, but also includes those who've been washed in the blood of Jesus. Right? In fact, the, the Bible is really clear that we are to relate to one another as brother and sister, not as father and son. You have one father, right? But as brother and sister. So brother and sister no longer means just only our nuclear family. It also means our spiritual family as well. So don't don't miss the radical nature of this. A term that was once meant to be exclusive, you're not one of us, has been inverted to be radically inclusive. Who is my brother and sister? You are. You are my brother and sister. We are bound to each other because we've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus, right? And and, in a a weird twist, um, who am I going to spend eternity with? Not all my nuclear family members. Unless God does a miracle, which I'm asking for. But you. Sorry about that. That's not good news to you. We're going to spend eternity together. And so I I lived in the same household with my sisters for less than 17 years but we get to spend eternity eternity together it's revolutionary we're bound together because we've been cleansed by the blood of Christ but but in a sense it goes even farther it's not so much you see about our brotherhood we didn't manufacture that right the whole nature of our brotherhood or sisterhood is based on who our father is it's not about our brotherhood or sisterhood it's about God God's fatherhood and so the question is not really who and where is my brother, but who and where is my father? And what is he doing? And what is he inviting me into? Do you see this? If my father is God, Yahweh, and your father is Yahweh, then we are children of the same father. And that makes us kin. That makes us family. And if I love, don't miss this, if I love the father, I will also love what the Father loves. Amen? I can't say, I love you, God. I really ticked off at who you've chosen to be your people, right? I'm really ticked off on God that you choose, you chose, I'm going to give you an illustration for a second, 
to save Nineveh. Are you following me? Um, Jonah was sent to preach the gospel to his enemies. And, and they responded to the gospel. And God pushed the shadow of their judgment back because they were responding and it ticked Jonah off, right? Uh, I can't say to God, I love you, God, but I'm really ticked that you love Islamic people. I'm really ticked that you in love and, and reach out to um, Hindus in, in India. I'm, I'm really ticked, God, that you have some propensity to continually reach out to atheists in our culture today. Do you see this? I cannot say to God, I love you, but I don't love the people that you love. Because if I love the Father, I will love what the Father loves and more than anything. More than anything. That's his children. Even the ones who have not yet turned to him before we were ever aware, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, right? You can't make that judgment about who will be ultimately with God because it's your very proclamation of the gospel that might set them free, might be the instrument that God uses to reveal himself to others. God's word says, and you know this, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now we're all sons and daughters of God, but he only had one begotten son of, daughter, uh, uh, son of God by the Holy Spirit, right? Jesus, that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe, atheist, Muslim, I'm tempted to go closer to home, but I'm going to get in trouble, biker, whoever else, you know, whoever you don't like, um, he died for them as well. So, so let's just briefly hit the last question. Am I my brother's keeper? God is really asking us the same question he asked Cain. Who is your brother? Where is your brother? Right? And, and he naively says, am I my brother's keeper? And what is the answer to that? What is the answer to Cain's question? It's a rhetorical question, but it's a real question at the same time. What is the answer to that? Yes, yes, God says, you are your brother's keeper. Yes, I'm holding you accountable for his blood. So my question is not, is that the right answer? I'm just confident that it is. My question is that, is that really our answer? Is that our answer? Is that, let me make it more personal. Is that your answer today? Are you, your sister, or your brother's keeper? And what would be the implications for your life if that was really true? Well, guess what? It would mean that you'd go to some far distant place where everyone else is saying, you're an idiot for going there because it's dangerous there, right? You might lose your life. You might lose your life. And again, the, the sweet refrain comes back. You know, can I really lose my life? I'm, I'm much more in danger of losing it here than I am in southern France or in Tijuana or in Beirut or in the office across the hall or at the neighbor's doorstep across the street. What are the implications if we really are our brothers and sisters keeper? This fall, we're going to explore these questions together, beginning with our own families. I, I mean, I, I don't want to, in our in our 
and our desire to love the whole world. I don't want to forget that God says, start with your own family, beginning with our own families, extending to our brothers and sisters in Christ, and also to our future brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the world. But for today, I just want to ask you that to wrestle with this question, because though you may never murder your brother or sister like Cain did Abel, and I'm hearkening back, uh, we went to Billy Graham's, uh, the Billy Graham Museum, and, and they quoted um, his wife. He said, did you ever think about divorcing your husband? She goes, I never considered divorcing my husband. Killing him? Yes. Divorcing him? No. Right? Though you may never kill your brother or sister like Cain did Abel, if you don't reach out with Philadelphia, if you don't reach out with brotherly kindness and affection and love those in need around you, and, and even those who don't yet know the saving grace of Jesus Christ, if you don't love them, is there really any difference? Is there really any difference? Pray with me, would you? I feel so foolish, God, because I... I look at my brothers and sisters around the room and I see in so many ways how they get this so much more than me. But God, I'm just going to trust that your grace is sufficient for me and for those of us who need to hear your word. And I pray that your word would not fall to the ground uh, and find a hardened ground. I pray that our hearts would be soft and that in the days and weeks to come, though you've already called so many from our midst to spend their lives for the gospel, God, that you would show each of us exactly what that means for us in this time and place. And I celebrate that, that God, for some, it's, it's more significant for them to go across the street than it is to go across the world. I celebrate that each of us have a different purpose in your kingdom. I just cry out to you, Holy Spirit, help us, would you? Help us to understand how we can respond to you. Help us even now, God, to, to say to you, I don't understand what the future holds, God, but I know that you hold the future. I know, God, that your grace will be sufficient for me wherever that is. And God, I just know if we're able to do this, then the world will never be the same. I know if we're able to do this, God, then, then our eyes will be opened, our hearts will be softened, and we'll become, God, the people of God that you desire for us. So, God, I'm going to ask you to begin even now. Um, break down our pride. Break down our xenophobia, God. Our self-centeredness. In so many of our lives, we have built up walls to protect ourselves from pain, not realizing that if you allow us to experience pain, God, it must be because there's something wonderful for us and something glorious for you on the other side. So, God, we just ask you right now, be glorified in us. Grant us the courage and faith to be able to say to you, I offer you everything, God. I offer you my life, my health, my wholeness. I offer to you everything I am. Be glorified in me. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.